Would you like to become the headline sponsor of the best football manager podcast on the planet next season? Would you like to be front and centre on the Football Manager Show alongside Tony and Aaron and Steve? Would you like to reach tens of thousands of highly engaged FM players every week? Yeah, of course you would. Well, your brand can advertise with us now. Our skilled and charming commercial team are waiting to hear from you. Contact partnerships at theathletic.com. That's partnerships at theathletic.com. The Athletic. everyone and welcome to the Football Manager Show by The Athletic. On this week's show, we're joined by Russell Hammond from Sports Interactive to tell us the secrets of staffing in Football Manager. The Tactics Garage welcomes another visitor for an MOT and we stop off in Sheffield for our penultimate community challenge update. So let's get started. You've put pen to paper on the contract to be the new manager. You look around the facilities, the squad, the canteen, maybe even the finances. Everything feels good. But what about your staff? Are they fit for purpose? Can you work with those who stayed behind? Or will you look to add your own confidants. To help us get the best backroom staff, we've enlisted Sports Interactive staffing czar, Russell Hammond. Welcome to the Football Manager Show. Thanks for having me. That's an absolute pleasure. Could you please tell all of our listeners what it is you do all day? So I work as a QA lead. I cover quite a bit of the gameplay section. So my day involves looking at things like club vision, player happiness, player interactions, staff responsibilities, essentially making sure they're all working as we'd expect. So it's a variation between playthroughs and and just making sure things are naturally working as they should be and forcing scenarios, checking that, you know, new things that we've put in or changes that we've made for big updates are working as we'd expect them to be. Obviously, today we brought you in to talk specifically about staffing. So first question I think we probably need to ask, first of all, is... How much does it differ from player recruitment? It's that's a good question. It's kind of similar in the way that you, you go out and you look for the attributes. So whenever I'm looking for staff myself in my normal playthrough, if I know I want an attacking coach or a physio or a sports scientist, go to the staff search, look for the interested staff and then filter by the best attribute. The difference I think with staff is that you get such a wide choice because with players, you, you know, you're restricted by a lot of things, the contracts, the transfers, the clubs they're at, how easy they're going to be to get. Whereas a lot of times with the staff, it's just, can I afford your wages? And if you're contracted, can I pay your compensation fee? So then you've got a whole swathe. You could have like 50 staff that returned with 20 for physio. So then it's a question of going through and having a look to see ages, what the uh, potential of the um, the staff is as well. Because the younger the staff, the more chance they've got to grow. So again, if you're looking at, coaches they can have uh, other areas that that will increase the attributes that will then have an impact on on how well they can train your players it's quite similar in the way that i start looking at the staff search filtering through the attributes that you want but then it becomes a bit of a different ball game in how you narrow down which ones you want interesting you've gone straight for 
you can search via attribute, which I like. You can also do job adverts. You can. Stick a little note up in the chip shop. We need a scout. (laughs) Now, I'm presuming, is that going to bring back as many quality applicants or... With the adverts, the idea is that they are ones that will come to you. So, you know, for starters, they'll be interested. They've got a high level of interest in the job that you're offering. So less chance of a negotiation and them demanding more wages than you were prepared to pay. It also helps you instead of having to sift through, you know, the number. Because, again, if you're looking for just an extra physio, you might not want to sit there going through 50 physios trying to work everything down. You just want to know which ones are going to come to me what their what their sort of rough salaries are going to be so that's where the the adverts come in useful because you can just narrow that list down straight away it also depends on the speed that you want them in like day one you're in a new club you might want to get your backroom staff set up straight away myself one of the things that i love i love to do because i'm a bit of a geek when it comes to this sort of thing is go in and set up the entire backroom staff on day one one of the first things i do work out where i need you know if i need better physios or if i need more physios more sports scientists better coaches and then just hire them all through by searching through the attributes but some people you know if you've got a situation where the board have given you extra leeway they come to you in the middle of the season go you know what we're increasing your staffing allowances that's where the adverts come in really useful because you can just put up the ad and go boom who's interested in coming to work for me who wants to come and you know be a physio for me and you can easily get seven or eight applicants then Quality of the applicants isn't always guaranteed through the adverts because you can get ones that aren't as good. There might be only 12, 13 on physiotherapy instead of a 19, 20 that you're looking for. Um, But again, you know that they're interested in coming to you because they've responded to your advert. Now, I'm sure Tony won't mind me saying this, but I like to manage the elite leagues. So maybe staffing options are going to be a little different to his in the lower leagues. In the elite leagues, What's the key staff that you would look to recruit and why? On day one, as you mentioned, you like to recruit on day one. There's, I think, I think there's everyone's favourite is the head of youth development. Um, <laughs> as we all know, part of the thing that everyone loves on FM yeah. is the youth development, you know, getting your next wonder kid coming through, hoping you're going to be able to turn that five-star yeah. player. Obviously, at the elite clubs, more chance of that happening. So to be honest, one of the first <laughs> things I'll do is go and look for the head of youth development. I'll check my head of youth development and see what their attributes are like. And if I don't think they're quite up to scratch, scratch, or there is an elite tier head of youth development that's like a new gen or someone that shows up on the returns, I'll try and get them in straight away because they are they are the one that you know influence, that can have an influence on, on youth development. So they're the ones that I like to go for first. And then it's usually coaching staff. So working out where I'm going to need training, because again, they'll be the ones that have a direct impact on the development and progression of your players. So best backroom coach staff in theory is going to help you develop your players in the best possible ways. So those are the two that I will always start off for first. Things like physios and sports scientists and scouts to a point, because they have quite limited number of attributes they need. They're quite easy to pick off. So I go for them last Whereas coaching ones, you know, you could go and look for a coach and be like, oh, he could be a good defensive tactical coach. Oh, actually, his attacking technical is even better. So I'm going to hire him, which then means I need to hire another one to go here. So, yeah, it's the head of youth development first and then coaching usually that I'll go for next. Sometimes assistant depends if there's an ex-player or uh, that that I want or the assistant that I've currently got I just don't like. So (laughs) have a look through those as well. (laughs) Yeah, head of youth development and then coaching are the two that I will always start with first. Yeah, so I also wanted to ask as well. So when you go to the staffing page, you will have like the coaching team comparison, recruitment team comparison as well. So on day one, 
these are the things I actually look to boost instantly. Like, I don't even look at who's at the team. I just see the comparison bars and I'm like, that's not good enough. We're going to upgrade there. Is that something you do? Is that important? I, I like it. Like, it is one of those things that I like. <laughs> so there will get a point where I'm like, right, I want everything to be the, the, the top, like the best in the league. Because, again, if you're an elite team like that is you want the best coaching staff and the best physios and the best recruitment team. Yeah. It's something that a lot of people like look at and we look at internally because, you know, you do want to have the best ones so yeah certainly for the elite team it is something that I'll I'll try and have a poke around and try and work out why I'm not at the top you know who I can improve to to get me (laughs) further up lower down like the smaller teams less likely to be a concern it's more a case of filling out the numbers and getting people who are doing a decent job and then you improve them as you go up Um, but there's a lot of more budget restrictions when you're when you're lower down the leagues because you're restricted by the wages that you can offer so yeah I do like all of those bars to be pretty filled up to the top and be yellow and be the best in the in the league and in the country (laughs) for sure I mean yeah we all like the big yellow bars but you know the thing is Russell I I am Aaron's right I am very much in the lower leagues like I my first club this season my left winger was my physio that's where that's where I'm at okay so not only not only did I lose a left winger I lost a physio at the same time so, so if if like me if you've got some listeners sitting there you know listening with part-time clubs I mean staff choices are going to be limited aren't they so we maybe don't have a head of youth development we maybe don't have a sports scientist do we just go for more generic roles, just like the catch-alls? And if so, what, what would you be recommending? Yeah, I mean, in those ones, in those examples, it's a balancing act, isn't it? Like, you can't have a coach for every single coaching facility. You can't have, yeah, like you said, like the head of youth developments or 15 scouts that you've got that you can send around to look at individual matches. So it is very much a balancing act. It is very much trying to work out, you know, what's going to work best for you, what what your focus is and where your your team and your squad can do with an improvement as well. Because, again, lower league teams, you've got more chance of getting them on a short-term contract, get people in through the door, see how it works out. And if things aren't happening, you can always move, you know, let them go and, and renew them at the end, sign a new one at the end of the season. Personally, when I'm down low, again, it's sort of like trying to find the the uncut gems, if you will, the best coaches that might be able to cover two categories. So someone might not have the best attacking, but they could have good technical and tactical. You're like, well, you're going to cover both my attacking coaches. You may not be the best attacking coach, but you've got that technical and tactical support that will back you up and and help you do a steady job. Whereas again, things like physios, sports scientists, although again, not so much of a problem down the lower leagues, you just grab the best one. I always find that you can, like the highest attributes if there's one that's got 16 for physio and the rest are on 15 i'll always try and go that 16 because he's the the highest one that's there but yeah it's very much a uh grab what you can and hope that they can cover as much as possible roll down in the lower leagues <laughs> so what are some of the key attributes we need to be looking out for if we want to get certain stuff such as the head of youth development and technical director so the ones like technical director for example is very much down to what the user wants the technical director to do so if you want the technical director to start looking at uh, different staffing it's always good to have a look at what his staff negotiations and is talking to the judging the staff ability scores are if you're not that fussed about those sorts of things then those attributes don't matter too much with him the the big one that we constantly and i always get asked about is the head of youth development because it is very as we said earlier like people love you know developing the youth players and love them coming through with head of youth developments there's a couple of things that can impact them so it will be their playing their tactical style and uh, personalities are ones that can be passed on to players in very rare occasions um because a head of youth development can double up as a coach as well his attributes on the coaching side of things are 
just as important, if not more important than a standard coach, because again, those are the sort of players that he can help influence. Now it's only a small percent. It doesn't mean if you get an attacking head of coach, sorry, a head of youth development with say 20 attacking, suddenly you're going to get all the best strikes in the world. <laughs> it just means that there is a slightly better chance that there yeah. will be attacking players that are coming through. Um, so yeah, for him, like a head of youth development, they're all pretty much important because everything can be influenced down. So we try and highlight them within the game without revealing too much, but we always try and do uh, like the head of youth development is judging player ability, judging player potential and working with youngsters are the three that get highlighted immediately. All of those have an impact in the background, but the ones that the users see when it comes to something like head of youth development are the coaching attributes. Things like determination as well on a head of youth development can potentially be passed on to uh, onto the youth players that come through. So again, it, it's another one where it's got a small percentage chance of doing it. If you're lower down the leagues and you get ahead of youth development, but you're not too worried about the youth intakes, again, their coaching attributes are really important because they can double up as an extra coach. Staff, like scouting staff, the, the key ones there, pretty, pretty straightforward stuff, uh, judging player ability and judging player potential. They're the two really big ones. Adaptability can have a minor impact on how good they are at settling and finding in an area, but it's not as important as, say, adaptability for players. And, yeah, I mean, all the other ones really, like, they're pretty straightforward when it comes to the medical staff. It's it's as simple as you'd expect. The higher the physio score, the higher the sports science score, the better they're going to be at their job. Mm. There's a couple of interesting points you made there at that point, Russell. So, first of all, like, for again, for our listeners, that maybe you don't know, that if you click on the, the role of the staff or, or of a player even, it does highlight these key attributes that are required for that specific role, don't they? So if you are a bit unsure about what you're looking for, so see you look, you click on a, a technical director or a head of youth development, it does give you a little indication, the game does give you a bit of a nudge to go, you might want to have a look at these little attributes here, they're the key metrics for you to be looking at. So that's really important to sort of re-emphasise that message to, to listeners. Um, but the other bit I picked up on was, was these tactical styles and preferred formations. Now, a question I've had, then I'm glad I can actually ask you this now. How much of an impact does that have on those players and your club as a whole? If everyone's, I guess, is it if everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet, does that help? Or is it nice to have a blend of tactical styles and preferred formations? So it does have a slight impact in the tactical familiarities. So if you've got players that are coming through the youth player, uh, the youth rankings or the reserve uh, team, and they play the same role and position as for those teams that you, they play in your senior team, then yeah, they can carry that tactical knowledge on into the senior team, which will have a, a slight impact. So setting managers or whoever's in control of those teams, having them have a similar style to you can be beneficial. The head of youth development is the one where it's can have potentially the most impact although they don't directly impact like the tactical style of a player because a player doesn't really have one it can have an impact a small impact because there's a lot of factors that go into it on generating players that match the head of youth development's formation so if they play a 5-3-2 with wing backs there's a slight higher chance that that head of youth development will generate say a left or right wing back because they've got that as their tactical style that's their preferred tactical style it's very, very small. It is not going to say, again, it's not going to go, oh, I've got a head of youth development who's got wingbacks. That means I'm going to start throwing out wingbacks. It's not that <laughs> big a chance, but it will have a small impact on the uh, youth development that come through or the, the squad of youth development, youth players that come through. Um, so yeah, it, it can have a little bit of an impact, but again, in theory, it's more about like the harmony that you like at your club, how you like knowing that the players in the youth team are playing the same sort of formation that you would play. So when you want to pull one up, they're ready to come in and slot in a bit easier than, than if they were playing a completely different formation. 
Mm. I mean, that, that makes complete sense, to be honest. And again, if you've got that structure at the bottom, then obviously we need to look at the structure at the top as well. So let's talk about directors of football. Obviously, a lot of clubs have got them these days. They've been in FM for a while. What are the pros and cons of having or not having a director of football? Again, it it's, comes down to what the user likes. So obviously, we've sort of given users the freedom to choose how they want to implement the director of football. Some people love it. We've seen plenty of videos this year from creators where they've gone into director of football mode or they've left the director of football in charge of all that stuff and then they just get on with the coaching side of things. It's always interesting to see how that plays out. The director of football can be anything from a glorified scout to your right-hand man that you're going to rely on to set up your squad and renew your contracts and develop things. So... If you want to have a director of football that will have all that sort of influence, then yeah, he can be massively important. Obviously, a big factor with the director of football will be things like their negotiating skills because that increases the chance they're going to get a player to sign at a lower wage than they might ideally uh, like. Obviously, again, if you're using them, like I personally like to use my director of football as the final scout. So it kind of sounds boss level there. Um, So I like him to go... (laughs) to go and be like the last guy to go and look at a player so for me his judging ability and judging potential needs to be really really high because that's what I use him for I like him to go give me that final one and then sometimes I will hand off the negotiations to him and just go do you know what you deal with signing this player I'm I'm not going to get involved in it that's entirely down to you so again it all comes down to what users like to do and how they like to set them up but when you've got a director of football who is good at their role and you hand them the responsibilities, it's really good to see them put together a team and just get those players in and go, oh, that's, yeah, that's that's what I hired you to do. Thanks. That's one less thing to worry about. So, yeah, they can be really influential if you want them to be. If you don't want them to be, they can, in theory, just be an extra scout that you can send to go and look at, at key players you're interested in signing. So you may have hired an elite team of coaches, but how do you make sure that they're being used optimally? Let's talk about edit coach assignments. So when you're doing your training, how do you make sure that you've got the right players doing the right things in training? See, I yeah, this is one of my favourite, kind of like a mini game within is trying to get the five stars for all of the coaching on that edit coaching assignments. So the three factors outside of the coaching ability that will influence those star levels and how good they are at their job are the determination, level of discipline and motivating. So if you've got a coach that's got 20 attacking and 20 technical for the coaching side of things, but lower scores on mental, they won't be the five, they won't get you to the five stars for the um, coaching levels. So it's always important to keep an eye on those areas as well, just to make sure that it's not just looking at the coaching attributes. With the coaching assignments in the edit coach time section, it's all about making sure that A, they've only got one category. So again, elite tier stuff because you wouldn't be able to do this lower down the league <laughs> it's always making sure that you've got the one coach per per category because that will maximize that will lighten the workload and it will mean that they've got more um more time to spend on on that particular area so things like fitness for example or goalkeeping usually is pretty standard to do because like fitness you either have two or three fitness coaches one per category if you've got a third one you can have them covering both that'll increase like the um the workload With things like fitness in pre-season, because a lot of your training schedule is based on fitness work, that will always be high. It will always be heavy. Like there's nothing you can do. The workload will usually be heavy for 
fitness in first in pre-season because that's where most of the training sessions go. Uh, once you get into the season, it depends a lot on your training schedules as well. If you spend the whole time training attacking and you don't have any defensive training sessions, there's probably not much point in having defensive coaches because they're not going to spend time working on the defensive side of things. <laughs> but again, it's about finding the coach that's got the best area. So on the edit tactical uh, edit coach responsibilities page, we highlight which section is that coach's best area. So you may have a coach that's got like possession technical, put that in the little brown box to advertise. That's their best area for training. Sometimes though, you can have it where they've got three really strong areas. So that may show up as their strongest, but they could still work in another area. And then you can bring in a coach to do that. So it's all about balancing, finding out your coach's various strengths and weaknesses, but ultimately making sure ideally you've got one coach per category if you're allowed enough coaches, then you can get two or you can get, you know, a younger coach who maybe is coming up like an ex-player who you want to develop into a better coach. Have them covering a couple of categories. It's like a backup coach. So you've got your elite attacking tactical coach and then you've got the, the second one backing up covering a couple of categories. He may have lower stars as a result because he's covering multiple, but it will always look at the lead coach, the person that's that's the taking those sessions and what their star rating is so it won't be lowered by having a a weaker coach supporting them so yeah with that one i always say go in play around with it it's always worth having a look because you can always get an extra 10 15 out of the game if you manage the coaching settings and and get the focus on a what your training style is what your training sessions are because again there's no point loading up three coaches on defensive sessions if your next week's all just attacking and making sure they're all fitting the categories that they're best for I can imagine people just listening to the podcast, running to FN right now, opening it up and going straight to their training because that's what I'm going to do right after. I'm this. doing it right now. I'm, 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 I'm going. I am not using this game as soon as to I had anywhere extra near its 10, potential. <laughs> that extra 10-15%, I need that right now. But one final one from me. If there was one piece of advice that you would give to any of the listeners with regards to staffing, what would it be and why? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> it would always... Uh, I'd always say that if you see that there is a particular weakness in your game, then it's worth checking the staffing to make sure you've got the best people there. So if you're getting a lot of injuries, check your physios, check your sports scientists if, if you've got them at your, the, the elite level. If they're not as good as they can be, get rid of them, hire better ones. If you're worried that your coaching, like your players aren't developing as well as they could be, check to make sure that your coaching setup is matching what your coaching, your training style is. And more importantly, that you've got the best possible coaches you can get in there as well. You may come into a team and find that they've got the full backroom staff in place, but that doesn't mean it's the best backroom staff. It's always worth reviewing and checking and making sure that they are matching up to your areas and what your focus is. Maybe you are an all-out gung-ho attacking coach, so you know you can get rid of all your defensive <laughs> coaches and just bring in attacking ones to, to help boost that up. It's obviously down to individual managers, but that is there. Those tools are there to help you try and get that extra 10-15% out of the players, out of the squad. And if you leave it to the AI, they will do, you know, if you leave it to your, if you hire a director of football and a technical director and leave all the staffing to them, they will still do a good job. Like that's what they're there to do. But you will always have a better eye at spotting things like that. And there's never any harm in having a couple of younger coaches that are going through the development cycle, that are going through their coaching courses and improving because like players, staff have CAPA, so they can go up, they can improve. And if you've got a young one who is going through the, uh, through the coaching courses, they will get better as time progresses. So 
it's again always worth taking a punt on getting an ex player in. Everyone likes seeing like a Leo Messi or Ronaldo in their backroom staff. So yeah, that that's another thing as well. Keeping an eye on on recently retired like legendary pros who you might be able to pull into to help back you up. Russell, thank you very, very much. That was eye-opening, <laughs> to be yeah, honest. Really. And um, yeah, I need to rethink a few things. Uh, Russell Hammond <laughs> from Sports Interactive, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. The Tactics Garage is open for business once more. So, Aaron, what have you got for us this week? So today we have a 4-3-3 from Sam Wilson, WHU, on Twitter. He's struggling to find consistency away from home using Napoli. So he's got opposition instructions. He's looking to trap them in the inside and then press. So he's actually trying to win the ball in those central areas and then, boom, hit the opposition on a counter-attack. But he's struggling away from home and we're trying to fix that. Hmm. Okay, so if we look at the uh, at the actual system that he's got going on right now, so it is a... Four three three. Um, yes. Do you want to just talk us through all this, then, Aaron? Because you've you've got it all set up nicely for for everyone watching on the uh, on the YouTube channel. If you've not seen the YouTube channel, by the way, just search the Football Manager Show by the Athletic on YouTube, and you can see this video as we go. Uh, for the audio listeners, we will describe it as best we can. So let's go <laughs> for it. So in goal, he's got the standard goalkeeper. The back four is a fullback on attack, and then the right back is a fullback on defend, and then the two central defenders are just standard central defenders on the Fed. The defensive midfielder is defensive midfielder on support. The left-hand side of the midfield has got the Mazala, and then he's got the advanced playmaker on attack on the right-hand side. The Mazala's on support, by the way. The left winger is the inside forward on attack. The winger on the right-hand side is, again, the standard role winger on support. And then lastly, up top, the goal scorer, the advance forward. Okay, so first of all, that looks pretty standard, right? Pretty nice formation, 4-3-3. Roles seem to work quite nicely. But Sam's saying he's conceding a lot of goals away from home. Alarm bells are ringing for me, first of all, and that mentality, that says attacking, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so he's got the attacking mentality. He's playing out from the back. He's operating with a slightly higher tempo, working the ball into the box, counter-pressing the counter-attack as well. He's also high-pressing the much more often trigger-press as well. So as we said, the, the roles, the tactic, the formation... That's balanced, but when you go to the team instructions, it's not really complementing each other. So he's got the high press, he's attacking, but then the fullback is on defend. Whereas with the attacking mentality, you kind of want to attack different areas, right? You want the fullbacks to, you might not necessarily want them to get to the balls, the byline, but you want them to get further forward and support the wingers in those sort of wider areas. So if I was going to use a defensive duty, apart from the two central defenders, I'm possibly looking at changing the uh, defensive midfielder role here on support. But... Then again, my actual tweak, I wouldn't actually add a defensive duty. I would remove this defensive duty. As crazy as it sounds, he wants to be more solid away from home. But sometimes attack is actually the best form of defense. And he's a setup attacking already. So I feel you just have to kind of go with it rather than half-hearted. When you go half-hearted, you start gap starting to appear. For an example, the fullback on defense, he's not going to press aggressively. So already you've already got your winger further up ahead and you kind of might have a slight gap especially when you lose the ball because the fullback is not supporting the winger. So the fullback is going to be a slight distance. There's going to be a slight distance between the fullback and the winger, but you really want to counter-press, so you want players in close proximity. Hmm. As well, one thing that, I've, that I'm, I'm questioning, and we don't have enough information to fully paint this picture out right now. Yeah. We've got, we've got a counter-pressing system on the go here. Now, unfortunately, Sam's not telling us whether he's struggling against the lower teams 
to break it down <laughs> or whether he's struggling against the bigger teams because he's he's pressing too much. So already in my head, I'm thinking, okay, you could go to example, you could be away to Milan. Yeah. You maybe don't want to be getting up in their face. You maybe want to sit back and let them come to you and hit on the counter. Whereas if you're away to Genoa, for example, they're probably going to sit deep and they're going to let you have as much of the ball. Like You can get at them and, and cause them problems. But I'm wondering, is that potentially part of the concern? Maybe? Yeah, again, it's obviously, like you said, it's difficult to know the issues without obviously him explaining the issues. But what I can actually see, and it's funny you said about um, you might not want to go to AC Milan and play this way, but you're, it's more likely you're going to go to a lower team. Whereas in my head, the way of thinking is, Actually, the teams that are sitting back are waiting for you. They expect you to have the ball regardless anyway. They could actually be sitting back. And then as you overcommit, that's when they then go on the counter-attack because now you've got your high press. Everyone's getting further forward, obviously, apart from the right back as well. But everyone's getting forward. The home midfield's out of the game and you're not really retaining the ball. So in possession, the passing directness is on standard. He's operating with a slightly higher, um, higher tempo. Already with the attacking mentality, people are being more expressive. So they're roaming from their position. They're trying to affect the game. So you've got a lot of craziness happening out on the pitch. I would be looking to actually retain the ball more. So for sure, I'll be lowering the tempo and also the passing directness. Mm, yeah, definitely keep a hold of that football as well. And you can draw the defence out as well, can't you? Exactly. You can, you can yeah. pull that, that, uh, that line of engagement back just a little bit more. So even if the opposition are sitting deep, They've got to come out and find you because if you're picking the ball up 20 yards from, from goal, they're going to have to come out of that out of their shell at some point, right? Yeah, exactly that. And I was also going to say that as well with the high press. I was thinking mid-block is another, especially away from home. So we're looking for away from home solutions here and a mid-block. I would start a game off as a, at mid-block and you can kind of get the feel of the game. And sometimes the opponent aren't actually trying to play out from the back. So whereas you can be high pressing, they could be playing a direct ball, which already eliminates that one pass can technically bypass your attacking line and your midfield line as well. If everyone's high pressing aggressive, if you're looking to man mark people, let's say they're trying to play out from the back or they're playing a short pass from the back, but then they kick it long from the central defender, that central defender by kicking it long could just eliminate your whole midfield. And that's because your whole midfield has gone up high to press. But without you really doing your due, um, due diligence and seeing how the opposition play, that could really, really hurt you. Mm, yeah, so again, remember on those defensive line options as well to have a look yeah. at the, uh, the drop-off more and the step-up more, which again, can can dictate how offensive your defence are, I suppose, really. Yeah, and like with the, with the standard defensive line as well, like for me, how I'm understanding it, the standard defensive line is standard with the attacking mentality. So if you're playing with the attacking mentality, naturally you are going to defend high. So for me, even though it says standard defensive line, to me that's still registering as high because we're still going to progress play, we're still attacking. Don't be afraid just to use the lower defensive line. And it's not going to mean now your whole back line has dropped and they're literally going to stand on the edge of their own box. That's not that's not what's going to happen. Mm, okay, excellent. So a couple of tweaks, as always, and sometimes that's all it is with the tactless garages. It's yeah. just a couple of tweaks. But again, based on the information that we've got, uh, Sam, if you want to get back in touch and give us a little bit more to to go with, if there is specific size that you're struggling against, do, of course, let us know that. We can maybe look to offer some slightly more customised assistance, I think, is uh, is potentially the way to look at it. But yeah, a couple of, <laughs> couple of changes there in roles, maybe a defensive role, maybe a support role, and maybe look at that line of engagement, which I think we all kind of go, get, get forward, get forward. But yeah, yeah, sometimes just 
ease off and allow the uh, allow the opposition to worry about you a little bit more. So yeah, hopefully that helps, Sam. Aaron, as always, appreciate your tactics help. If anybody is listening or watching and would like some assistance in their tactics, then of course the way to get in touch is via Twitter. Send a message to Aaron, which is at RDF Tactics, or send a message to myself at Tony Jameson, or even email us thefmshowpod at gmail.com. Send us a screenshot of your tactic, and more importantly, let us know what's wrong with it, and then maybe we'll be dissecting it on an upcoming show. So, as always, thank you very much. The Tactics Garage will be back open soon. It's time for the Community Challenge. And of course, for that, we welcome back producer Steve. Hello, producer Steve. Hello, Tony and Aaron. How are you? Very well, very well. Thank you. And yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, Less uh, coldy than I was in the last show. I sort of had the real like, oh, it's time to book in the voiceovers sort of voice going on, (laughs) which is one of the unexpected uh, benefits, if that's the right word, for uh, being ill. There's a lot of it about, I'm afraid, but mm. but we uh, we require your assistance today for the community challenge. Now, of course, for um, any new listeners, do you want to quickly run through the rules and the tiers of what we've got, Steve? Yeah, of course. And um, as we mentioned at the start of the show, obviously, we're starting to look at bringing things towards a close now. So a reminder of what people could achieve. Our tiers from top to bottom, platinum is get to the Premier League in three seasons, and this is, of course, with Sheffield Wednesday, only signing players and staff from Yorkshire, and before you're in the Premier League, win a cup to get into Europe. So platinum, quite a difficult one, that one. We'll see if anyone gets it. Step down, gold, get to the Premier League in three seasons with only signing players from Yorkshire, signing staff and players from Yorkshire. So we've taken away that additional cup via Europe thing. Silver, reach the Premier League in five seasons, signing whoever you want from wherever you want, and that's staff and players. And bronze, take your time, chill out, be free, don't get sacked. But as we've said, it's seemingly increasingly difficult to do on the Sheffield Wednesday save because the pressure for promotion is on from season one, is it not? So just to reiterate those key rules, Aaron, what are they? Yes, we've got the key rules. You can only sign Yorkshire men as players and staff. We follow the grandparent rules, so... If the player has a grandparent or parent that was born in Yorkshire, or indeed they themselves were born in Yorkshire, you can sign them. Or if they've been at a club for five seasons, they can take their Yorkshire citizenship. For an example, I love this example, Barry Bannon. Right, on to your correspondence now. Uh, Dan C underscore 84 has asked a brilliant question straight from the off. They say... Can I still get a silver medal if I made it to the Premier League within three seasons? I got Sheffield Wednesday promoted in the first season, so he's into the Championship in, in Season 2. Rock bottom of the Championship for about 15 games, just managed to get out of the bottom three, and then West Ham <laughs> offered me the position of manager, and they were bottom of the Premier League. So I've accepted the job. So technically speaking... I have made it to the Premier League within three seasons. Just Sheffield Wednesday have not. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm trying to hold it. I can see the message I'm trying to hold in my love. I'm so sorry. That is very funny. I don't recall us ever specifying. That I was just going to say that. That it's the club <laughs> that has to get there or you or they're the both. I think, I think Dan still gets a silver you know? <laughs> yeah I think he's done he's, I think, he's discovered a loophole I think so yes another loophole in this sort of 
gaping chasm that are the rules of this challenge. But um... I love the way that that's the first thing we haven't thought of since that Sheffield Wednesday has to be in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, no, Dan, you've got a silver. Well done. But unfortunately, you're now for West Ham, you can only sign players from Yorkshire. So, <laughs> so, so, so let me get this right. We can't sign players from Kingston, Jamaica, but you can qualify this challenge just leaving Sheffield Wednesday entirely (laughs) I don't think this counts I'm sorry I don't I'm calling an audible here I don't think this counts (laughs) I got offered the Cardiff City job on my save and I turned it down and they were in the championship and you know what I wanted to leave because it's frustrating this challenge (laughs) we're clearly split here aren't we I think I think it's a good career move for me that's why I'm passing it giving it a pass okay so obviously there's three of us so we can vote to sort of like you know come to a come to a decision (laughs) (laughs) I'm voting for the fact that Dan should get silver because it's our fault that we didn't um, from drawing up the law code of the challenge we didn't make this distinction therefore I think he's he should get the silver and we should just learn our lesson it's a bit of a loophole going on but hey Dan I, I, I vote for silver I appreciate the thinking behind it, but I'm still going with it's a Sheffield Wednesday <laughs> challenge. It's not a get to the Premier. If, if we're going to allow that, then we could all have left and saved ourselves managing Sheffield Wednesday. Well, did we think about it, or did it happen to us, Tony? No. So, I mean, your objections are, are clear and moral. I'm not sure they're legal, though. I think Aaron's got the deciding vote. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm giving it a pass. And I think there's part of the reason that he's still bottom of the table. Is so there's a possibility of him getting relegated, which would be hilarious for me as well. Oh, look, I mean, it's it's a hollow silver medal. Don't get me wrong. It's not, you know, he's not really, not in the spirit of the game. But unfortunately, I think we've, uh, I think we have to give it to him. So, 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 Tony, you're very much in the no, not in the spirit of the game. We're not, not letting this through. So I'm saying you should get a silver. So Aaron, yours is a casting vote. So just to confirm. Yeah, I'm going to give it a silver. Okay. That your silver trophy is coming in the post from me and Steve. I'm Don't say that because we can't promise that. <laughs> <laughs> Give yourself a silver emoji, Dan. There you go. <laughs> right, there we go. Democracy rules. Will Rich has posted his season three update in the Discord as well. And he's stuck at Sheffield Wednesday, stayed at Sheffield Wednesday for the whole challenge. He says, season three underway, last chance for gold. A new formation, exciting new additions and a solid pre-season, including a stunning win over top half Premier League side Aston Villa. Squad as happiest they've ever been, a B-plus from the board and the fans are looking to build on last season's 16th placed finish and a push for the playoffs. Exciting. However, four games in, bottom of the table, no points, out of the Carabao Cup, not outclassed in any game so far, but couldn't hit a barn door until a unbelievably soul-destroying game at home to local rivals Hull. Oh yeah, and I've now had another squad revolt. He lost the Hull game 5-4 at home. It's the only (laughs) goals he scored this season in the league. (laughs) He ends his message, sack me now. (laughs) That's that's where we're at. He just wants it to be over, doesn't he? (laughs) Tyler Smith grabbing a hat trick as well. It's yeah, just not enough. Yeah. Take the shortcut, Rich. Find another <laughs> club. <laughs> you know what? Everyone is getting stressed this week. Metal Amuse seems to have gotten on the wrong side of Josh Windass. So he's put just put Josh Windass up for sale, £300,000, which he wasn't happy about. So I had a meeting with him in which he demanded to be priced at £400,000. The ego on this lad. 
<laughs> thing is, though, that's kind of like either way. That's not bad, actually, because it means that you get more money than you thought you'd get, slash keeping a player who is admittedly unhappy but still a quality player. So, you know, anyway, another challenging element of this challenge. Not everyone is having that sort of doom and gloom and tricky moments, though. Positive vibes coming in from Darnor, who was a new entry to the challenge last week. Now, to reiterate as well, as we've mentioned, we are looking, and as Tony will clarify later, we're looking to wrap the challenge up for those who started. But if you do want to, as Darnor has done, start this week or carry on going through, you know, we've mapped out what the routes are and the time scale and we do still want to hear your correspondence so do keep coming through as Dana has done they have a question so can you still sign players that when you start the game are on loan at Sheffield Wednesday in that first season he's asking that you know because they didn't have their five years but they were there at the start of the save so the rules come in at the end of the save as a question so to clarify that first of all I would say yes because we right at the start of the challenge mm-hmm. we said from point zero are you the squad you have that's one thing it's from point zero now. So I would argue, actually, maybe this is another one we come to a split decision. We'll see. But um, <laughs> I would argue, yeah, that's fine. I'd say you can sign those ones, but because they're sort of part of the club already, it's, it's sort of like a new new regime comes in and they don't change anything retrospectively. But going forward, the rules are implemented. So I'd say, Donald, that is fine. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm the same with I'm with you. <laughs> cool. So actually, in that respect, then, Tony, I say this lovingly, but it doesn't matter what you think. So <laughs> <laughs> because you've been overruled. So there we go. So anyway, just to finish Darnall's message, which now he has that information, he can sort of sign those loan players to help a little bit because he's struggling to find players that will improve the team, especially with those loanies who start at the club who will then leave it potentially again. Darnall had a takeover in the first month, but they're still... £90 million in debt, which is a lot of debt, I would say. However, all this said, the problems that Darnor is having, currently on a 16-game winning streak. So, I mean, my sympathy is now limited. And he's in that first season. Um, when he sent us this message, he's played 24 games. He's very much top of the league by a good um, away versus Ipswich and Plymouth. I think you're doing fine, Darnor. Anyway, do keep us updated with those challenges you are going because it's a really, really strong start and it's the sort of start that you need if you're going to achieve a gold or even, dare I say, a platinum. I mean, if we can get our first platinum winner, that would be incredible because I'm starting to think even gold is impossible. So like, if we can see platinum, <laughs> that would be absolutely fantastic. And I think it's fair to say that that, that tempers are starting to, to bubble up a little bit with this challenge. It is frustrating. If you've not tried it, it's really fun, but it's also frustrating. I think we wrap this up next week, don't we? We've said before, like this is probably coming yeah. to the end. Yeah. Season five, get season five done, and then we can maybe look to the future Look to a better future that doesn't involve <laughs> ridiculous stipulations that we've inflicted upon ourselves. <laughs> I think that seems fair. Do we agree? I think so, yeah. I think the number of people who have pleaded for it to end. <laughs> right, okay. So we found something we all agree on now. That's good. Okay. <laughs> right, so now time for some more correspondence. Steve? Yes, and from our email, we have a Danish listener getting in touch um soren nikolai torden scold anderson but soren writes hi guys thank you for a great show may i request a bit more of an international challenge a community challenge next time since the yorkshire challenge is a bit hard to relate to as a danish listener which is fair enough soren we'll, we'll, we'll bear that in mind for next time i've listened to the show whilst i've lived in new zealand scotland go hearts he said in brackets so clearly must have lived in and around edinburgh as well as uh denmark 
just sort of a little bit of input in, into the conversation we had in one a recent episode about how much time you spend at the very beginning of the uh, game. So Sora normally spends around five to ten hours on getting to know the squad, setting up three tactics to train with three set-piece tactics for both offensive and defensive corners on both the right and left-hand side. And also very topical based on the episode today, what we heard from Russell, looking through all of the staff, which have you heard is amazing. <laughs> Soren then takes over the training for the first team and then focuses on the second team and the youth team, leaving no stone unturned. Soren really enjoys this part or period of the game. Keep up the great work. Looking forward to many more pods and maybe a live show in Denmark or Copenhagen. Med Venlik Hilsen, which reliably informed by the internet, is Danish for yours sincerely. Sora Nikolai, Torden Skold Anderson. What a lovely note there from Soren. I think we spoke about it a little while ago, didn't we? Like I've some of my favourite streams are that getting to a new club or day one stream where everything is brand new in front of you and you yeah. do go through all of your staffing, your squad, your training, your tactics. That's great. Like, yeah, and that five to ten hours, I think that's pretty reasonable to be honest five <laughs> five's a yeah, decent yeah, number yeah. and now especially once we've learned about staff and i've now got another three days to start learning all that sort of bits as well. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly it's so i mean we, we, i feel like last episode we, we we touched on this too but like there is a sort of a bit of an emphasis i think or feel rather than know for sure of like riding that continue button getting playing the next game playing the next game playing the next game but actually you can enjoy this game in a really different way by doing exactly what Sauron is describing there, which I think is really nice. So that's a lovely little note, really much appreciated. And look, hey, if the Danish Tourist Board wants to get in touch and uh, sponsor us to do a, uh, you know, little Danish orientated community challenge, then absolutely. Yeah, I love that. I, I genuinely love that. So thank you, of course, for Sauron getting in touch. And if you would like to be like Sauron and have your correspondence, questions, hopes or dreams read out on the show, please send them to our brand spanking new email address which is the fm show pod at gmail.com that is the fm show pod at gmail.com and of course if you want to send us any tactics garages we've already said that's a tweet send us a tweet to rdf tactics to at tony jameson give us the screenshot tell us what's wrong with it and of course the fm confessional is always waiting for you so that's just a reminder, the new email address, thefmshowpod at gmail.com. And that was the Football Manager Show from The Athletic. Your guest today was Russell Hammond from Sports Interactive. Your co-host was RDF Tactics. Your producer was producer Steve Hankey. And I am Tony Jameson. Take care, stay safe. We'll see you soon. The Athletic.